Welcome to The Term, a podcast about the Supreme Court by Law 360. I'm Jimmy Hoover. I cover the court for Law 360 here in D.C. And joining me now from New York is Law 360 editor-at-large, Natalie Rodriguez. How's it going, Natalie? Hey, Jimmy. Pretty well. I feel like it's been a a rather quiet week. Um, Not much... Uh, you know, on the Twitter sphere, except maybe uh, Justice Elena Kagan's birthday. Uh, so happy birthday, Justice Kagan. Yep, uh, a big uh, number 60 for Justice Kagan, which I think brings the average age of the justices now to about 67.3 years old. So, you know, not 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 terribly up there, but a good balance there between the lower end of the 50s with Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and the higher end of Ginsburg. So while it's been quite kind of on the front of, you know, not hearing too much more uh, about, um, you know, the justices, uh, say, meatloaf recipes or, or what they're doing, uh, you know, during their, their quarantine, it is starting to heat up a, a little bit in terms of, you know, getting ready for next week, uh, big teleconference debut. Yeah, we we found out actually a little bit more details about how these unprecedented telephonic oral arguments are going to go um, when the Supreme Court on Tuesday released uh, a press release basically saying that they would be carrying over their two-minute rule. So that's when, you know, the the justices decide not to ask any questions for the first two minutes. But after that, they're not going to do their usual hot bench free-for-all where the justices are kind of jumping in on top of each other to ask questions of the advocates. And instead, it'll be Chief Justice uh, John Roberts who will get the first bite at the apple, um, after which it will um, go to the associate justices in order of seniority. So they're each going to have their designated um, time to ask questions. I wonder what that'll mean for someone like you know Clarence Thomas, who doesn't really like asking questions anyway but who knows maybe he'll speak up and then the court will say hey maybe we should have been doing this the whole time and then they'll implement it in an open court setting i doubt it now now, do you think they'll be using the mute button on all the justices uh in the midst because i feel like we've seen you know from the two minute rule when it got started you know everyone has a a little hard time adjusting to to those rules in the beginning yeah i could definitely hear some see some rustling papers in the background or maybe you know the faint um, noise of opera coming from Justice Ginsburg's house or something like that Um, or someone even just forgetting like you know that they're not supposed to chime in and hop in as per usual Right, right. Um, I would say the culprit in that case would probably be Justice Sonia Sotomayor, because we've seen her do that a couple times so far with the two-minute rule, but it's okay. She's just excited to get, you know, uh, to get her questions out. Uh, but yeah, no, I've been listening to some of the lower courts, and the mute issue is surprisingly complicated for some of these life-tenured judges. It's like, uh, sorry, uh, judge so-and-so, we can't hear you, you must be on mute, and so they chime in a couple seconds, like, oh, sorry, sorry, I didn't realize. Um, so yeah, how how the how the members of the Supreme Court deal with it? Uh, we'll see. Well, it'll be interesting to see uh, up first to to kind of uh, you know be the guinea pigs in in this new process will be uh, the lawyers um, in. Uh, a big patent trademark case, uh, patent and trademark office versus booking.com. Um, interesting detail. Both advocates for this case are actually going to be women. And, you know, as I think we've talked about before, and I think as a, a lot of watcher, Supreme Court watchers know, you know, there's a, a bit of a dearth of female advocates. So I think it's it's a, a pretty interesting and surprising detail to see that 
both are uh, both parties will be women. Um, Lisa Blatt from William, Williams and Connolly will be arguing on behalf of Booking.com, and Erica Ross, um, the assistant to the U.S. Solicitor General, will also be arguing. Definitely um, refreshing to see when the Supreme Court bar hasn't really been getting that great of high marks uh, this term when it comes to gender parity at the at the lectern. Um, yeah, so that one's an interesting case about whether or not just very quickly um, adding dot com to the end of an otherwise kind of generic uh, brand um, can make it eligible for trademark registration. So booking.com kind of struggled to get that trademark registration, but actually won in, in some of the federal courts. And so the USPTO is now appealing that to the Supreme Court. Um, so another case we're watching is, um, you know, consolidated cases actually uh, in Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania and uh, Trump versus Pennsylvania. And this one covers the kind of well-trod ground of the Affordable Care Act and contraception coverage. Um, so the Trump administration has told employers that they don't actually have to provide uh, contraception health coverage uh, to employees if they have objections based on moral or religious grounds. And so you've had, you know, a number of states and, and stakeholders um, challenging these this regulation in, in the courts. And so it's gone up to the Supreme Court. You know, we've obviously seen the Supreme Court weigh on this issue uh, before in, for instance, in Hobby Lobby um, decisions. So that'll definitely be a, a highly charged case that we'll be on the lookout for on Wednesday. Yeah, we'll be we'll be uh, listening in. I, I know if, uh, if listeners want to listen in, I know C-SPAN and Court TV are going to be planning to uh, broadcast the arguments live. I think Court TV is going to find that it's a little less exhilarating than like the OJ trial, for instance, when they, when they <laughs> tune into these Supreme Court arguments because they can get pretty in the weeds there. there what are, are you no... talking about, Jimmy? I'm, I'm, I'm so <laughs> super no, into this. <laughs> there are no bloody gloves at the Supreme Court. That's all I'll say. That's true. That's true. So that's basically what we're looking forward to next week. Um, in terms of what's happened recently since our last episode, on Friday, the court... Uh, had an interesting update to the case involving the Trump administration's uh, wealth test on immigrants. Uh, so listeners might recall, we talked about how three states in New York City had been uh, asking the court to consider blocking the start of that wealth test um, because of the coronavirus pandemic. On Friday, though, the court uh, said there would be no pause on putting that wealth test in place. So the Supreme Court denied that motion to reconsider the immigrant wealth test in light of the pandemic, uh, issuing kind of a one-sentence order there that didn't really go into any explanation. Um, but fast forward to Monday, the Supreme Court actually handed down three rulings, uh, two of which we'll be going into in some detail. The first one is uh, one of the big health care cases of the term. It's called Maine Community Health Options um, Against the United States. So big picture here is the Supreme Court essentially put the federal government on the hook for the billions of dollars of losses that um, health insurers suffered in the first three years of the um, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, uh, when they had the health care exchanges. Uh, so our listeners may recall, we did an episode uh, when this came up for oral arguments, and the whole case is about this risk corridor program. So this is something that Congress included as part of the Affordable Care Act to kind of incentivize um, insurers to participate in in these new Affordable Care Act markets um, when there was a lot of uncertainty and obviously, you know, the ACA came with a lot of new uh, statutory obligations on the part of insurers, for instance, um, you know, not holding 
uh, pre-existing conditions against people um, who are participating in the marketplace. So in order to kind of string them along a little bit, they said, okay, we're going to set up this risk program, this risk corridor program where, you know, we'll take some of the profits that some of the money making, uh, some of the insurers that make a lot of money in participating in these exchanges, and we're going to transfer those to the insurers that lose money. Uh, The problem, as everyone knows, is that the first few years of the Affordable Care Act, the whole risk balance of the insurance market was a little bit askew when there were a lot of you know, older and sicker um, people in the marketplace that were, you know, obviously filing a lot of claims and a lot of healthy young people stayed out of the market. So what happened, as everyone knows, is that the insurers lost a lot of money, so much so, in fact, over the three years that it amounted to, I believe, $12 billion. And so that wasn't covered by the profits that um, some of the other insurance uh, companies made. So there was this huge debt. Uh, obviously, a new Congress comes in and uh, Republicans don't want to essentially give what they consider to be a bailout to the uh, insurance companies participating in the ACA, so they pass these appropriations risers. So to make a long story short, this comes up through the Supreme Court, and the whole question is whether Congress cr- created kind of an obligation for itself in the risk port corridor program to have to pay back these losses to the insurers, notwithstanding the fact that they passed these appropriations riders that basically said that the uh, uh, government couldn't spend on this program. Yeah, while they had um, instituted those riders, um, Congress never officially repealed the language of the risk quarter program, which said that Congress shall pay money losing insurers. So in an 8-1 opinion written by Justice Sonia Sotomayor on Monday, uh, you know, the justices basically said, no, you're still on on the hook for this $12 billion tab. Right. I mean, a, a big part of this was whether they had kind of implicitly rescinded um, the language that you just mentioned in the risk corridor program, which does say they shall pay the, yeah. the losses here. and But Sonia Sotomayor kind of writes in her opinion that the bar for Im- what they call impliedly repealing something, which is a legal way of saying we got rid of this thing without explicitly saying we got rid of this thing. Well, she says the bar is very high and it wasn't met by these appropriations riders passed by you know the Republican Congress. Yeah, and a big theme in this case um, for the insurers, you know, was this concern that there was an an erosion of kind of private sector faith in public officials. Um, You know, looking back at some of the coverage uh, in February, uh, there were petitions that kind of likened it to uh, the Peanuts uh, comic strip and and Lucy, you know, the, the character Lucy duping Charlie Brown with the football, you know, into to going to kick the football and then taking it away, you know, um, so the Monday opinion, you know, I, I think reflected uh, that that kind of argument. Um, there was a lone dissenter, though, uh, Justice Samuel Alito, uh, who had grumbled at oral arguments uh, in December that, you know, showing uh, this kind of special solicitude for insurance companies uh, uh, was, was not the right way to go. I'll say I was a little surprised to see him um, so lonely in dissent um, in this case. But, you know, looking back on the oral arguments, definitely you saw an overwhelming kind of feeling among the justices that, you know, the government has an obligation to pay its debts. And that's what Justice Sotomayor uh, writes, that she says, uh, the the holding in the opinion, she said, quote, reflect 
uh, a principle as old as the nation itself. The government should honor its obligations. And she goes on to quote um, Alexander Hamilton, who, who wrote in 1790, states who observe their engagements are respected and trusted, while the reverse is the fate of those who pursue an opposite conduct. So that was the big uh, Affordable Care Act decision on Monday. There was also a big gun rights decision. Um, in an unsigned uh, per curiam uh, decision, the court threw out a challenge to rules related to how gun owners in New York City can transport their weapons. Um, it was uh, a case we've talked about before, and uh, because New York City had changed its rules after uh, the case had been filed, um, the court said it was moot. Um, but this might not be the full end of the road for the case, right, Jimmy? Yeah, the Supreme Court allowed um, the petitioner in this case, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, uh, to kind of go back and see if it can pursue damages from the amount of time that this supposedly unconstitutional um, restriction around transporting firearms was in place in New York City. So just a bit of a backstory here is this involves um, uh, New York City's very uh, rigorous uh, premises licensing scheme for gun owners. So most uh, gun licenses in the state of New York are these things called premises license in which you can keep your gun securely at your house and until this case was pending before the Supreme Court, it used to be that you could only take it to one of seven shooting ranges in the city. Um, now, obviously, the Supreme Court says it's going to review the constitutionality of that um, those restrictions under the Second Amendment. And then New York City, and also the state of New York, um, kind of made some legislative changes um, to the way that this worked so that it allowed people with premises license to kind of go outside New York City limits um, and bring uh, their guns to you know a shooting range outside the, the city and also to second homes. Um, so that, you know, in the Supreme Court's view, mooted the case on, on, on as to the issue of, you know, getting a putting in place an injunction um, upon rules that no longer exist. But as I said before, it said, okay, this group can go back and see if it can get some money for the time that the rule was actually in place. I should just mention quickly that there were three dissenters um, to the court's per curiam ruling here. Um, the dissent was written by Justice uh, Samuel Alito, so he's been kind of dissenting a lot lately. Uh, this one, he, he said that the court's decision permits our docket to be manipulated in a way that should not be countenanced. That's another way of saying... I really don't like that New York City is kind of going out of its way to moot a case in order to avoid a big Second Amendment ruling. Yeah, Justice Kavanaugh also uh, wrote a concurrence saying that while he agreed with the, you know, the fact that the case got, was mooted, uh, he shared Justice Alito's concern uh, that the the federal and state courts might not be uh, properly applying Heller, uh, basically, and, and you know, unmashing the lower court for kind of its, its narrow interpretation of that precedent. Right. That's the big landmark Second Amendment ruling in 2009 in which a very divided Supreme Court recognized, um, uh, you know, an individual right to bear arms under the, the Second Amendment. Um, so I think he's signaling there that, you know, maybe we should take a look at some of these many pending Second Amendment cases on our docket so that we can kind of kind of put some teeth back into our Heller decision that he thinks the lower courts are being a little bit too wishy-washy in allowing some of these restrictions to be upheld. So those were the two major decisions, I think, that came out on Monday. Uh, there was a third, though, kind of a 
a bit of a, a fun one, I think, for legal industry folks to be watching. Um, the Supreme Court ruled that um, the annotated version of Georgia's official state law code, which I think a lot of lawyers, uh, you know, like to go and, and reference and, and look into, uh, could not be locked up under copyright law. Uh, so basically, in a 5-4 vote, the justices uh, rejected an infringement lawsuit that the state had filed um, against an activist group called Public Resource Org, uh, Inc., which had copied and distributed the code without paying. Yeah, this was kind of an interesting one, not only for this kind of fascinating issue of, of whether governments can assert copyright ownership over these you know, legal text, which the Supreme Court says it can't, but also because of the kind of breakdown in this case where it doesn't come down necessarily to, um, you know, party affiliation, uh, so to speak. But instead, it was a kind of a generational divide, actually. You had Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, writing for the majority, and he's joined by Sotomayor, Kagan, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh. Whereas on the other side of the ledger, in dissent, you have Justice Clarence Thomas, Justice Samuel Alito, Justice Stephen Breyer, and Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So just to kind of refresh everyone's memory, we talked a little bit about the age of the justices in the beginning. Um, So maybe they'll recognize that in the majority, you have all the justices under the age of 70, and in dissent, you have justices over the age of 70. I'm not sure that that's anything more than coincidence, but you never know. So I think that just about wraps us up for this week. Um, I know I am excited to see what happens next week, and I'm sure we will have a chock-full episode. Uh, right, Jimmy? Definitely chock-full. I think we're all pretty eager to see how this telephonic experiment goes next week. Well, as always, it's it's been great chatting with you today, Jimmy. Yeah, thanks, Natalie. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Trader and Danielle Smith, our executive producer, Amber McKinney, and our contributing reporters this week, Dorothy Atkins, Jeff Overly, and Bill Donahue. Music for the show comes from Slenderbeats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law 360 and the term. Thanks for listening.